started to really look forward to them. Because they're not going to take my time, I'm going to take their time. And so it works. So when they call me, they say, do you, uh, do you have time to take a survey? I say, I have 30 seconds. And when they get to 20 seconds, I said, you got 10 more seconds. Okay, we're wrapping it up here. And I say, okay, now I'd like to ask you a question. And I'll tell you about a couple that I've done. Uh, I want to pray for you. What can I pray for? And uh, this one girl said, pray that I'll, I'll get out of this job and get a job I really like. I said, what's your name? She said, Karen. I said, okay, I'm going to pray for you. Can I pray for you? Would you mind if I prayed for you right now? And she said, yes. I, I wouldn't mind. I, I, uh, I'd be happy. So I said, God, you love Karen. You have a destiny for her. You have something for her to do. I pray that you'll help her walk into it. That, that it'll please you to help her find her way. She got done. She said, thank you. She didn't want to hang up. She thanked me for praying for her. That's happened several times. I decided I was going to call the guy up that gave me these glasses because I've been praying for him. And so I called him up. And this is just regular routine. It's not things that out of the ordinary. I've done that. I've done that with other telemarketers, and some that they don't. They won't. I can't think of anything. I'm okay. Went to the bank. I decided to go inside. I was going to go through the uh, uh, the drive-through, and I thought, no, I'll go inside because there's somebody in there. And so I prayed that God would put me at the right window. I was at this window, and she cleared. Because I was looking forward to asking this lady if I could pray for her. And then it opened up over here. I, oh, I don't know if I want to go. Okay, I went over here. And she uh, got my bank balance. And I said, uh, I'm kind of crazy. I like to pray for people while I'm in the car. What can I pray for you for? Right away, pray for my cousin. My cousin's husband has a rare cancer. I said, what's his name? She said, David Tweeten. I said, okay, I'm going to pray for David Tweeten. I'm going to go back into the bank next time and ask her, how's David Tweeten? I hope that something happens in the bank that changes the bank, the, the temperature of the bank when, when something happens with David Tweeten. So in the midst of routine, whatever your routine is, I felt like God said to me, until further notice, everyone is a target for you until further notice. Because I was praying, now do you want me to talk to this person? And, you know, I wasted time wondering if God was wanting me to do it. So I felt like he said, until further notice, consider everybody an opportunity. So it, it's not difficult just to say, hey, I'm kind of crazy. I do a lot at gas stations. I'm kind of crazy. I, I pray for people, and I pray, and I've had some wonderful opportunities. So I like that, that in our normal day of life, we don't have to look for miracles out there. I like what you said when we were praying for a revival. How about being a revival? How about staging revival? How about making it happen? So I'm with Bob. I'm expecting this new year to be a year of miracles that we participate in, that we can be a part of, that we can believe God for. And it, I'm not talking about being an extrovert or an introvert. I'm talking about just being ready 
and whatever works for you, for your who you are, to be available if it means praying for somebody that's not feeling well, and growing in an expectation that God's going to heal them. And then when God heals them, then you have an opportunity to take the next step. So I'm talking today about someone who had such a past that you wouldn't expect them to have the kind of destiny this person had. And it's an incredible destiny. And I'm doing it because I want to say to you, you've got a destiny in God that's beyond what you can imagine. Her destiny is way beyond, way beyond. Did I do that? Way beyond what she could have possibly guessed could have happened. And when I tell you all about her destiny, you will agree. So we're going to look at Joshua chapter 2. You get some Bibles there uh, and uh, pass them out so everybody has a Bible. I'm going to open it up so we can see it. I want you to see the words. They're Bibles. Yeah, Bob's got them right there. All kinds of them. Raise your hand if you need a Bible. Open them up to Joshua chapter 2. I'm going to start reading. and You uh, find it when you can. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. Round two. Say round two. Round two. What happened round one? Joshua was one of the spies. What happened? They what? And there was what? Yeah. Moses sent out 12 spies, including two people named, what were their names? Joshua and Caleb. And 10 of them came back. They reported good things about the land. And then they said, unfortunately, there are giants in the land. They got walls that, that go up to heaven, which could have been talking about Jericho. And we can't take it. And the, the people started crying. They're discouraged. They want to go back to Egypt. And Joshua and Caleb tore their clothes. That's a way to get people's attention. They tore their clothes. And they said, no. If God is pleased with us, he will give us the land. So what did they decide to do? They considered stoning them for believing that God was going to give them the land. Round two did not go well. God said, okay, you'll never enter the land. And their, their walk toward the promised land, this pathway became their graveyard. The promised land for us is kind of a picture of our inheritance, a picture of what God's got for us. You've got something in front of you. You've heard the verse, for by grace have you been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, it is the gift of God not because of works, lest any man should boast. You've heard that. Raise your hand if you ever heard that verse before. Okay. What's the next verse? Okay. We are God's, what a strange word, workmanship. Anybody ever used that in a sentence? I never have. We don't hardly know how to translate it. It's poema. That's a Greek word, poema. It, God's creation. We are, we are what God has put together. We're his poem. We're his, we're his creation. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You've got, a, you've got an assignment, which God created in advance. He planned in advance 
that we should walk in them. So God's got something for you to do that's different than the person sitting next to you. Turn to somebody and said, my job is different from your job. You've got a job to do. I've got a job to do. And it's not your job. I can't run your race. You can't run my race. I need to find out what my race is and run it. You need to find out what God's got for you and run it. So we're going to look at this uh, situation, this counter-spy, and see what happened to her. So this is round two, and Joshua was doing it secretly. Last time, the whole country knew about it. But this time, he's, he picks very carefully, I believe, because he didn't want the same thing to happen. Go look over the land, especially Jericho. So they went. So they are in Shittim, which is about 15 miles east of Jericho. It's across the Jordan. So you figure there are probably 2 million people camped. They're 15 miles from Jericho. Do you think in Jericho they know about the, the camp? They know they're there. They're scared to death. They're wondering, when are they people going to come after us? They're very careful now because they know the day is going to come when they're going to come under attack. Jericho is known for its walls. They have double walls, in fact, and they're called casement because there are two walls, and then they have perpendicular walls going this way to make it very difficult to come through. And what happens inside those casements? Well, you've got people living in them. So it appears that this woman is actually living inside the walls. Some of the people lived. The poorer people lived in the walls. Okay. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute. Now, one could think, well, that isn't a bad strategy. Why? Yeah. Maybe they just think we're there for regular business named Rahab and stayed there. They hoped it worked. didn't work. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. They're very careful. They're looking for any sign that someone's trying to come in. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. Okay, here's her chance. She could be a hero. Rahab, turn him in. You'll be a hero. When God offers you an opportunity, Satan will make a counteroffer for one. You don't want to take the counteroffer, do you? Oh, my. Rahab, what are you going to do? Oh. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from at dusk. When it was time to close the city gate, the men left. I don't know which way they went. Go. This will be the first of three times she says go. This woman's in charge. She is running the show. This is her expedition. Go after them. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stacks, stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. 
And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate, huge gate, not a little gate, not a six-foot gate, maybe a 20-foot gate, one guy couldn't close it. The gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, what are they thinking? We're at her mercy. She says one word, and we're done for. So she comes up. She went up on the roof and said to them, Five grand and I won't squeal or you're dead meat. <laughs> she could have bargained with him. Here's what she said. I know. Here's a woman who, whose testimony may have not held in court. Her life was in, perhaps, was in shambles. And she doesn't say, well, it seems to me that maybe there is a possibility that, she says, I know. I love the scriptures that say, I know, or we know. Because we're about to read a testimony of a woman who has great faith and was well known for her testimony in the New Testament church. I'll show you how. Because God birthed faith in her, and faith allows us to live with certainty. Just stop for a moment and say, I know, and then finish the sentence. Do it out loud now, different ones of you. Faith brings I know statements. Faith is the assurance of things we hope for. Paul said we know that all things work together for good. We know it. We don't think it. We don't hope it. We know it. Who uses the word know most of any New Testament writer? By far, I'll tell you, because then you don't have to guess. John. If you, if you look at 1 John 5, it just <laughs> comes, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life. Verse 15, if we know that he hears us, we know that we have what we asked of him. Verse 18, we know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. Verse 19, we know that we are children of God. He wants you to know. You're not thinking, you're not wondering. Faith gives you confidence so that you know. And this woman named Rahab, who had a reputation that was despicable, 
said, I know. That's how she started this testimony. And how does it continue? I know that the Lord. Now, who's she talking about? Look at, look at the word Lord in your Bible. Is it in small caps? That's the word for Yahweh, Jehovah. Not sure exactly how it's said, how to even write it. But it's the personal name for God, used 5,500 times in the Bible. This is, this is who God is. If you asked him his name, this is what he would say. When Moses was being sent by God back to Egypt, he said, well, what do I say to them when they said, who sent you? Who? I am that I am. Tell them I am has sent you. That's this name. That's the name she is using. I know that Yahweh, listen to this, has given this land to you. You realize that these spies came in. They were, they were going to take days, maybe 40 days. That's what the first spies came in. They were going to take maybe 40 days to spy out the land, especially Jericho. God puts them within minutes into the right place. They're inside the wall that they came to investigate. And now they're hearing a testimony. It sounds like from one of their own people giving, hearing a testimony from someone who had come to faith, who had heard the stories of the living God and now was a believer and was saying, I know because faith was born in her heart. And she's talking about Yahweh like she knows him and giving courage to these two spies who are shaking, wondering if she's going to tell them. How comforting. This is a miracle. God put these events together so that this would happen. Praise the Lord, he sent us to the right house. Praise the Lord, our lives are not in danger. Fear of you has fallen on us. This is the opposite reverse of what the spies had said. We are like grasshoppers in their sight, they said. We're afraid to go in. And she says, no, we're the ones that are afraid. We're afraid of you. We have heard the stories. They're 40 years old. They've been floating up the desert. And people aren't believing. They're just afraid. But one woman believed. She said, I believe those stories. I believe that's the true God. I believe. Listen to what she says. Fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in the country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt. And what you did, that was 40 years ago, to Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted and everyone's courage fell because of you. Listen, for the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. She's a believer. She has faith in Yahweh. Now, this shows the character of this woman. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. She's not selfish. She's caring for her family. Our lives for yours, the men assured her, if you don't tell what you are, we are doing. We will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window. For the house she lived in was part of this city wall. 
Now she had said to them, go, here's, here she's in charge here. Tells them what to do. Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there three days until they return and then go on your way. How long did the expedition take? It took a few hours. It took one, one minute for the testimony to say we're done. That's all we needed to know. We're done. But they hid for three days and then came home. The men said to her, the oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless we enter the land. You have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if anyone else goes outside your house into the street, his blood will be on his own head. We will not be responsible. As for anyone who is in the house with you, his blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on him. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. I want you to picture something. Perhaps five, six hundred thousand men are in the army. Scholars say that. So that number of men are marching around in silence. People inside peeking out through cracks, wondering what's going on. As I wonder even if they're helping to create the earthquake that's going to happen. If physics is on their side because they're doing something that prepares. Now here's the seventh day and they go around seven times. That took a good long time for five, six hundred thousand men to walk around the city. And Joshua tells them to shout. I wonder if the reverberation, if the frequencies, if something physically impacted the implosion that took place. But when you watch it, now you see one part of the wall that doesn't go down, and you see a cord hanging out from that window, still standing, strangely still standing. Imagine how it must have sounded to those people who were on the inside. Oh my, deafening. And it's happening. They wonder if they're going to survive. And then they realize, we're still breathing. We're still alive. Let me ask a question. When did Jesus die? When was Jesus slain? That's right. Revelation 13.8 says the lamb who was slain from the foundation of the world. Who did she put her trust in? She didn't know it. She put her trust in Jesus. She put her trust in the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. She was saved by faith, looking to what God the Savior would do. That scarlet cord weaves its way through the Old Testament. Weaves its way as blood is put on the doorpost. That's a picture of Jesus. Every lamb slain, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of them, over a million lambs slain. That blood flows, that scarlet thread, and now the scarlet thread hanging down. Picture of Jesus, the Son of God. No one comes to the Father except by Jesus. And she is a saved woman. Let me draw your attention to two scriptures in the New Testament. One of the most important 
passages that talks about faith is Hebrews 11. Would you agree? The whole, the whole chapter talks about faith. And of course, you have the champions of faith. You've got Abraham and you've got Moses. And it says, by faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do it, they were drowned. Then it says this in verse 30 of chapter 11, Hebrews. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them seven days. How did they do that? They did it by faith. And listen to this. Here's the only example of a woman in Hebrews 11. And who does this person, whoever wrote Hebrews, who does this person choose as a model of faith? This person chooses Rahab. By faith, the prostitute, see, we still know about her past, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies. When she welcomed the spies, she was welcoming the God of Israel into her life. She was renouncing her Canaanite deities. She was renouncing her city about to be destroyed in the most bizarre military strategy that I've ever heard of. And she was putting her faith along with those who would come and conquer this city. She did it by faith. She welcomed those spies. Somehow she knew. God spoke to her. She knew. Like Elizabeth knew she was in the presence of Jesus, still in the womb. This woman knew these men are here for loftier business. God spoke to her. I marvel at the beauty of this story. Turn to your right. On my Bible, it's two pages. We're in James 2. Here's another important chapter on faith in the New Testament where faith without works is dead. He's trying to give an example. And so he uses only two examples this time. Of course he uses Abraham. What is more astounding than for Abraham to be out on a starlit night? God says, look in the sky. See if you can count them. He's childless. His wife is barren. And God says, this will be your descendant. And what does it say he did? It says, Abraham believed God. And it was, it was reckoned to him. It was, it's, the word is logismai, which means you charge it up, you count it. It's, it's an accounting term. It's a banking term. You chalk it up as true. God credited it to his account as righteousness. Then he's going to sacrifice his son because God tells him to, knowing that he could raise him from the dead. That's faith. So you can understand that he used Abraham. He's a towering giant of faith, an example for us. Then he picks one more person, the brother of Jesus, writing this letter. Who does he pick? I love this. I love. He picks this woman who we haven't heard much about, never preached on this, in the same way, he says, Abraham has honorable mention in the New Testament 74 times. Rahab three times. In the same way, the same way that Abraham believed and was accounted righteous, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous? 
for what she did. This wonderful thing that started the campaign into the promised land when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Way to go, Rahab. I'm just going to close with Matthew chapter 1 so that you know who Rahab is. It says in Matthew chapter 1, Nashon, verse 4, the father of Salmon. Nashon was a prince, a wealthy prince, says in Numbers, chapter 1 and chapter 7. So he's a prince. He's the father of Salmon. Who did Salmon marry? Salmon married Rahab. Who did, who's, who did they have as their child? Ever heard of Boaz? Salmon married a Canaanite woman who had come to faith in God. Their son Boaz married a Moabite who, was, who, was, who cannot be a part of the Israelite family because of the Moabites and how they did not care for the Israelites when they were coming through their land. And now she's included, not only included, but a part of the genealogy of Jesus, ancestor to Mashiach. What a destiny for this woman. Whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Oab, Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Ruth is the great-grandmother of King David making Rahab the great-great-grandmother of David. This Canaanite who worshipped deities who, whom you had to sacrifice your children to to appease them has come to know the living God and has a remarkable destiny. It's known in the New Testament community. Here are two authors who picked her as a model of faith. I agree with Bob that this is going to be a devastating time and it's going to be a remarkable time for God's miracle working. For extraordinary times, we need extraordinary faith and extraordinary prayer. And so I'm being challenged and as I finished out the old 2014, walk into 2015, I want the kind of faith that's ready for the kind of things that want to do. That's what I want to challenge you to have this kind of faith have the faith that Rahab had so that she was used. Her, her whole destiny changed. If we'd known her in high school or in college, would, you, would we have picked her as the one who, who would have been the, the single one in all of Jericho that would have changed the destiny of this whole landscape, who would have brought the children of Israel in? This is the first battle that they had to win. She opened the door for all that to happen. What a destiny. And then she's in the line of Jesus Christ himself. You don't know what your destiny is. And the problem is, some of you know your past, and so that holds you back. So I want to pray for uh, two different groups this morning, and I'll pray for us all together. How are, we, how are we doing on time here? Okay. I want to pray for any who, who have a past which makes it hard or harder for you to believe that, that you have a future. Like Robin said, I have a future. Well, maybe some of you have a tough time. I want you to raise your hand. If, if you struggle with that, 
If you know you do, but you struggle with that, and it's hard to, as it were, displace the past. Rahab was displaced by the God of Israel, who just grabbed her and gave her a new destiny. It says in Joshua 6, and she is with the Israelites to this day. So they, uh, they took her in, put her, made her part of the family. Any of you are in that place where today you, you kind of know you have a destiny, but still there's a pull that your past tugs away. Raise your hand if you're in that position. Okay, there's some in the back. There's one here. Okay, I want to I pray for you. Uh, as I pray now, I'm believing. I'm believing for you. I'm believing that God does something for you as remarkable as he did for Rahab, and it fits who you are. <clears throat> We turn our hearts to the God of Israel, to the one who said, I am that I am. Whatever you need, I am. Whatever you desire, I am. He is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He's called your destiny. He knows where He's taking you. He knows the good plans He has for you. He's able to get you from here to there. I pray, Father, that in my brothers and sisters that you would plant living faith and that faith would grow in their hearts like a seed. I pray that you would replace the darkness of doubt. I pray that they would find that you are making it easier for them to believe. I pray that they would discover that you yourself are lifting the challenges and turning them into opportunities. And they can see them they can see that you are, as it were, doing it. You're just doing it yourself. And, and they're participants, yes, but that you are doing way more than your part as you did for Rahab. I pray that you would build a kind of confidence in them that allows them to say, I know. I know. Like Paul said, who had an unbelievable past, persecuted a persecuted church but he said to Timothy I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed to him against that day Paul knew that he was going to fulfill the destiny he had in God because God was going to keep it and I bless you I bless you with an increased knowing in your heart that you can know let it settle in God let it settle into hearts 
Let this year be a year where they see things. And yet there's a, a peace and a quietness and a stability that says I'm being loved, I'm being cared for, I'm being watched over, not being overlooked. I pray that even this morning, I pray that you would touch emotions, emotions of anxiety, emotions of fear, emotions of resentment. I pray that you would touch the emotions that would pull my friends back into the if-onlys of yesterday, if only it hadn't happened this way. Remind us often to pray for our brothers and sisters that they may walk fully into their God-appointed destiny in Christ. I want to pray for any of you who have a responsibility for others, that, that you have some kind of leadership responsibility. There are people who are looking to you, that you're mentoring or teaching or, or working with. Bible says that those who are called in, in some kind of capacity like this, there's greater judgment on them because we can see from those who, those ten, they were destroyed. The other people died a natural death in the wilderness, but those people were destroyed. God was so angry that they turned an entire generation back from their promise. I don't want to be found guilty. I don't want God to say to me, your words held people back. You cause people to miss their inheritance. I would much rather have them say, Paul, you led people into their rightful inheritance. So I pray, Father, for any of us who have a responsibility for others, parents, teachers, counselor, Lord, that we very weigh very carefully what we say and how we say it, that we would not discourage the hearts of your people, but we would bring encouragement and strength to others so that they can walk fully into their God-appointed destiny. We pray in these days when we uh, talk about this theme of, of dreaming and fulfilling our dream, that just as Rahab walked into that literal promised land, so we would walk into our God-appointed destiny and bring others with us on the way. Amen. Amen.